There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. So Nate, I think you'd agree that probably the number one most requested thing on our show has been to cover K-pop. K-pop, 100%. So I thought we should just jump right in on it. The biggest song right now, really in the world probably, is BTS's Boy With Love featuring Halsey. Let's take a listen. Mm, that is a catchy number. I've already got it rattling around my synaptic pathways. <laughs> <laughs> it is a super catchy track. But, you know, it's funny. I kind of feel like I wanted to reserve judgment about this song. And honestly, sort of K-pop as a whole, I just I haven't figured out how to get into it. Like, it's a different language coming from a different nation, yet it's this global phenomenon. And honestly, I kind of feel like I've missed the boat and I'm almost embarrassed by it. But I thought what we could do is try to get some better backgrounds so that we can maybe have a more critical and tuned ear when we're hearing this music. I'm so down. There's a lot I have to learn about this genre that, as you say, is just in- inescapable right now. So I'm excited to see where, where this goes. I feel like I couldn't cover an entire band's history or genre without the help of someone who really knows this work. So I thought I would bring in a resident expert. My name is Sukyung Kim, and I teach theater at UCLA, and I also direct Center for Performance Studies here on campus. So I spoke with Dr. Sukyung Kim, author of this great book, K-Pop Live, Fans, Idols, and Multimedia Performance. And she really helped me better understand the genre by giving a more expanded definition of the music beyond just K-Pop. For me, K-Pop is so complex that the best way for me to rephrase it is to think it as kaleidoscopic pop, kidult pop keyboard keypad pop. Sometimes I call it Kleenex pop because, you know, it's so disposable. Excellent songs are used once and they're forgotten the next week. And Korean pop in a way and corporate pop as well with K. (laughs) I love that. Okay. So what we're hearing here is, of course, the five Ks of K-pop. Yeah. We've got kaleidoscopic pop, kidult Mm. pop, keyboard pop, corporate pop, and of course, Korean pop. And so what I want to do is work with Dr. Kim's definitions and see if they can enlighten our listening. Okay, right on. We have to start from the very first one, kaleidoscopic pop. I love this word. And I asked Dr. Kim what she meant by it. 
I use that word to emphasize that K-pop is not just music that you listen to, but more importantly, it's a spectacular show that you enjoy visually that comes through many different bodily presentations such as fashion, makeup, uh, beauty practices, and spectacular choreography. It's not just sonic landscape that we're introduced to, but it's a panoply of visual landscape that is really attractive for many followers. So I use that term kaleidoscopic pop to really emphasize the variety of senses that come together that appreciates K-pop. I'm buying this. I mean, we've outed ourselves as K-pop <laughs> neophytes. So yeah. I'll be frank about you know my position here. What I do know about K-pop is definitely this kaleidoscopic angle. Like it is such a visually rich medium, and I, I find when I am watching videos of BTS or Big Bang and, and any of the other groups I like, I'm as attracted to the incredible visual language of these groups as I am to the music itself. And you're totally right. You can go and watch YouTube videos. And usually they're going to have more plays than the equivalent song would on another streaming platform. It's just audio. So this actually, for me, kind of frustrates our entire purpose, Nate, right? We're like all about digging into composition. And from the beginning, we have to acknowledge that this is more than just the music. I'm totally comfortable stepping out of our orally focused worldview to embrace the visual as well. So I think this raises an important question, which is, is it too late for us? Is it too late for us to get into? No, it's never too late, Charlie. I, with, with the five Ks to guide us, I'm sure we can find <laughs> our footing in the, in the wild world of K-pop. Exactly. Second K, Kidult. I introduced K-pop as primarily teen idol music, but its fandom and performers are becoming multi-generational at this point. So that's why I call it kidult pop. I mean, it is introduced as something that teenagers enjoy, but if you actually look closely into who produces and who enjoys K-pop, it's actually people not only you know, confined to their teens, but in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and much beyond. What K-pop does really well is to kind of provoke nostalgia in older fans. I mean, people who enjoyed their teenage years in the 80s suddenly re-encounter the similar kind of pop idols in current K-pop performers. And it's all strategically coordinated concepts that the producers spin to kind of attract multi-generational fandom. In that sense, I think it will be a grave mistake to just confine K-pop into teen idol music okay that's a relief and this is so interesting too right i'm finding this idea that kidult is a cipher for the fact that it's music aimed at a younger audience but encompasses the kind of youthful nostalgia of older audiences as well i definitely get that i feel like almost giddy when i listen to tracks like boy with love like i feel like a kid and i think here as well, we're, we're going to start to see one of the important factors of K-pop, which is that it really works hard to reach a large audience. This is for a global audience and not just for young people. And Dr. Kim, I think, does a really great job of explaining how in order to reach a large audience, K-pop is also 
framed specifically for digital media. K-pop actually was primarily born out of this digital ecosystem. It was a music performance to be uh, presented on TV shows rather than primarily on recordings. And nowadays, we cannot think of K-pop as such without uh, YouTube and Twitter. So I think most global fans' entry into K-pop is through the online cyberspace, Mm -hmm. whether that's their cell phones or uh, YouTube channels on your computer screen or your iPad. So in order to really emphasize that K-pop's natural habitat is cyberspace. I use that term keypad or keyboard pop as a way to see how we enter K-pop space. So we've established that the music is not all that matters here and that the interaction amongst fans in the digital world is often what brings people to the music first. I think especially in a music which is in a language which is not spoken broadly around the globe, one of the essential ways that K-pop reaches people is through all of the sort of brilliant marketing and communication that happens online. I want to do something that we've never tried before, which is I want to watch a video together and see how is this speaking to us? Like, what are we catching? Maybe what are we missing as well? Oh, okay. This is this is weird and makes me uncomfortable, but that probably <laughs> means it's a good idea. So let's try it. <laughs> okay, so let's just pull up Boy With Love. Okay, the song hasn't even started, no. and, I'm, and I'm already seeing something interesting here. Big hit entertainment. So I'm assuming that's the management company behind BTS? Yeah, and then we go to Halsey at a movie theater. Right. Now they're dancing, and I'm transfixed. We've got like color matched hairs and costumes to a beautiful old movie theater called Persona. Where are we now? I guess in a diner? Ooh, I like that transition to the all blue background. All blue suits. There's always something to catch your eye. There's never something not happening. Super complex dance moves that are happening both in the foreground and the background. They sort of like move between different characters, different spaces. Interesting blend of like, yeah, these digital backdrops and real life stages. Oh, there's a giant keyboard on the ground that feels like it's reminiscent of the movie Big. Kidults, man. Right. Kaleidoscopic comes to my mind once again. It is just such a like a visual feast. Halsey is on a sofa with BTS, and I'm like 90% sure is actually just green screened in. Mm, That sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. She's definitely there with them. If anything, the conspiracy theory should be, does she actually sing anything on this track? (laughs) I mean, she just doesn't play a, a major role in this track at all, really. That's true. Yeah, right. It is this sort of like crossover with a lot of English lyrics and, uh, you know, one of the biggest American stars. And yet her role is definitely subservient to the song. I mean, the other fascinating thing about watching this is how Ill- irrelevant the language barrier quickly becomes. Huh. And perhaps watching it more than listening, so, you know, you sort of supersede any incomprehension you might have because gesturally it all seems to make sense to me 
dude, that was trippy. We were like entered a movie theater. We went into the movie big. We then went into this like surrealist vision that was almost like La La Land. It became like a Vegas nightlife show and finally ends on the entire band in you know, perfect matching pink uniforms up against a sort of pink and orange background. Everything is just like popping with color and imagery the entire time. Yeah. And this honestly, this seems pretty tame compared to a lot of other K-pop videos I've watched. You know, it's also interesting. There's that moment at the very end, which catches them more candidly and just sort of like enjoying each other's company, not doing any choreography. And it's like, that seems like such an important part of this formula too. Like there's always, there needs to be those moments where you sort of peer behind the curtain and see these stars as they are without any trappings or mediation. It's no surprise that we were taken in by this video because it was the most viewed 24-hour debut in YouTube history. BTS continues to just constantly break these sorts of records with their music, with their videos, with their ticket sales, with their concerts. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, at this point, BTS seems less like, I don't know, some kind of novelty and more just a sort of given fact of the international pop ecosystem. Like, they are just part of that landscape. And what I want to do after a quick break is look at, I think, the sort of the two most essential parts of this five-part K-pop definition and answer, is this actually just a corporate behemoth or some kind of nationalist project that is pushing this music forward? Or is there maybe something more there? Cool. See you on the other side. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing because like who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. One of the core tensions that I brought up here about K-pop music is, you know, does the music here even matter, right? If this whole thing is meant for a digital ecosystem and multimedia kaleidoscopic sort of experience, is the music important? 
And I think that this is a frequently sort of challenged concept. And Dr. Kim speaks to it really brilliantly in her definition of what she calls corporate pop. Corporate with a K. Corporate with a K. K-pop stars are not really born, but they're made. And who makes K-pop stars? I mean, it's the corporate forces behind this kind of, many people have called it factory model system. So I think the closest analogy that we can draw upon is Motown or golden age of studio system in Hollywood where stars were uh, attached to their producers or corporations behind them and were groomed to become stars rather than just emerging out of nowhere. And BTS is one of these groups. They were formed by big hit entertainment and they were molded. They were originally going to be a hip hop group and then formed more into a teen idol group with hip hop influences. And we could sort of fret about the sort of authenticity of that sort of a formation. But I'm curious, is this really fundamentally different from you know contemporary Western stars like Beyonce and Justin Timberlake who came up through similar systems in the West? Perception about K-pop is even more so married to corporate forces to the point that vast majority of idols would be introduced as oh, idols from such such production company. Up until recently, there have been three major corporations which produce K-pop idols, train them, produce them, and also produce their uh, record labels. And they were SM, JYP, and YG. And when idol boy bands or girl groups are introduced to public for the first time, they're mostly known as YG idols or SM idols or, or JYP idols. Even before we get to their kind of idiosyncratic, you know, musical kind of orientation and whatnot. So that kind of corporate labeling seems to be very important part of understanding the idol's career trajectory as well as their musical kind of orientation. So this is fundamentally different in as much as record labels would like to have that sort of brand identity. They don't intentionally try to have a singular brand association or sound as exists in K-pop. Huh. To sort of dig deeper into that, I wanted to go into you know, specifically what are those kind of brand qualities that these companies try to associate with? SM idols are known to have perfect looks. And their kind of social identity is forged around them being role models for younger generation. Whereas YG Entertainment, which is struggling deeply nowadays, mired in this all big scandals, is known to be based on hip hop music. And their idols are seen as rebellious, dark, almost kind of harboring <laughs> criminality. And a lot of those concepts make into their music and music videos. So this brought out a really important question for me. She talks about how one of these labels intentionally associates with hip hop. And I think this gets at something that you and I had actually talked about the other day. And I actually grabbed you on audio while we were having coffee. Here's what you said. Are there features of Korean pop that separate it as its own stylistic genre? Or is it more accurate to see it? as U.S. mainstream popular music with Korean lyrics. Mm, wow, that guy sounds incredibly uh, intelligent, and somehow I just sense drop-dead handsome. But I, I don't know, I could be wrong. <laughs> Here's what Dr. Kim had to say. 
tough question. <laughs> My only answer is that there is no logic to K-pop. Anything and everything goes. And the funny thing about K-pop, perhaps that differentiates from mainstream American music, is that I don't think it really starts with music or sound. I think it starts with concept, overarching concept. So this will be, for example, 1950s retro feminist look. Start with that. Costume design starts with that. Music video directors start with that. And songwriters start with that. And this is very prevalent way of making music in SM entertainment where, uh, you know, the, the visuality is really the triumphant force in driving K-pop. So I would say that uh, that's kind of different. Maybe things are done differently in U.S. popular culture scene nowadays, but, you know, the, the place of a songwriter seems to be a little different. You know, the songwriters are part of a team who plays around this main concept that visual or artistic directors come up with. That is super interesting and really highlights the capital K corporate nature of K-pop and makes me think maybe to revise my question in a less reductive way, not like, are there musical stylistic features of K-pop writ large, but rather go on a case-by-case -case basis from artist to song and see if there are certain things jumping out in, in a given song rather than across the board. That's exactly what I want to do. First, I actually asked Dr. Kim about this question of, are there musical qualities that we can identify. And I want to see what she had to say and then maybe do some listening. In terms of musical spread, it's, it's everything and anything. It's so eclectic, starting from very traditional kind of, you know, urban hip-hop music to R&B and soul to actually Europop dance music from the 70s and 80s. All of that is like somehow meshed into it. And especially SM Entertainment has this like kind of phrasing that transitions from one to the next. So there is no consistent pattern to it. And that's one of the challenging mm. modes. So you're kind of always like surprised. One example is a girl's generation, a popular, you know, girl group from SM Entertainment. I got a boy. It starts with a kind of EDM dance. And then it turns into hip-hop song. And then comes back. And it's that unpredictability that kind of throws you into this kaleidoscopic kind of sonic field where you feel really disorientated. But then, you know, maybe you need it because K-pop's kind of currency, cultural currency also comes from the accrued numbers of YouTube viewing, numbers of tweets that it generates. And to have this kind of unpredictable passages and progression in is a way for fans to listen to it so many times, to accrue those cultural currencies in terms of numbers of viewing and likes and retweets and whatnot. Okay, so we need to accrue some cultural currency. And I'm going to ask you, how many genres can you identify in these clips? Okay, I'm ready. We're going to start with... CLC's Me.
<laughs> what do you think? Okay, in the, in the beginning, I don't know if this is a, a you know a genre per se, but I was like having flashbacks to turn of the 21st century pop music like Britney Spears and the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, definitely. Okay, in the chorus, I'm definitely hearing you know echoes of like EDM dubstep kind of sounds. Yeah. Definitely. You want more though. Yeah. I don't know. That's all I got. That's all I got, Charlie. Do you not hear maybe like even like a little bit of Latin pop here? Oh. Check it out one more time. Do you hear those offbeat synthesizers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like Caribbean dance hall music kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm hearing that. This music is broad, right? Like we've jumped from thing to thing to thing. It's engaging. Yeah, this track is a really exciting brew of all these different musical influences. All right, let's go to another one. Let's listen to Super Junior, Leslie Grace, and Playing Skills, Lo Siento. All right, just starting there. What do you hear? Wow, that's really fun. I'm not going to name a specific genre, but what do we have? We've got like a mix of uh, of kind of like acoustic guitar and then these wordless vocals. I don't know. I'm not going to I can't locate it anywhere in particular, but it does. It sounds reminiscent of something. What is it, Charlie? A little scatting. I don't know. I hear like honestly sort of touches of jazz fusion. Sure. Let's go with that. All right. Let's keep moving. <laughs> What do you hear? If in the last track we had sort of a, you know, subtle, buried Caribbean rhythm, now here it's like, this This feels like reggaeton to me, just like yeah. straight up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is literally like a trilingual track. This is cool. You can hear Korean, Spanish, English, and and you also hear all those musical influences as well. Absolutely. And we're going to hear maybe one more genre when we get to the pre-chorus. Okay. That was fun. I'm maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna peg that to like, you know, '90s R&B or something. Because ding 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 ding. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Totally. First of all, like the chord changes, right? Chromatic, right? Lush, directional, like very moving. And then the vocal quality and these kind of swooping melismas. Yeah, the whole thing just screams like, you know, late Whitney Houston slash early Beyonce or something. It's really cool. <laughs> It totally does. I want to go to our our original song. And now that we've learned a little bit of our larger definition of K-pop and we can think about it more broadly, what are you hearing genre-wise or other references when you listen to Boy With Love? (laughs) 
I don't know. This is this one is trickier to be honest. Yeah. But that's only in terms of assigning, you know, these very narrow genres. There's a little bit mm-hmm. of house maybe in there with that four on the four bass drum and those kind of like lilting dancing syncopations. Yeah, I don't know how else to describe it. It's kind of it's it's this really infectious but kind of light groove that makes me think a little bit of of certain house tracks. Do you hear the like sort of chic style funk guitar? The thing what we heard on Daft Punk's Random Access Memories, which had that exact sound. Yeah, yeah. House. Okay, so maybe stretching back even further to disco a little bit and and seventies yeah. funk. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 persuaded by that. The first time that I heard this song, I, I also heard other contemporary references that not just genres, but other songs that I thought were perhaps inspirations. I mean, the chorus, right? That that reminds me of a song we've covered on this uh, podcast. That's right. Oh, My, My, My by Troy Sivan. I love that song. Yeah, yeah, cool. So that oh my is 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 definitely redolent. Okay. I even heard a little bit of the pre-chorus of Boy with Love. Something that it's kind of another sort of far reach. Another song we've covered. Charlie Puth's attention. Check this out. That part where he descends. He's going to come back around and do it again. That part? Yeah. So check this out. All these songs are in really different keys and tempos, but I mashed them up together. And I think you're going to see that there's actually some connection between them. There you go. Okay, there's definitely some overlap. I mean, I, I'm inclined to just chalk that up to another one of these. You know, there's only so many notes in the scale, and we're all gonna <laughs> totally. eventually sing the same thing if we're all, you know, making a million songs a year. But you've shown, if nothing else, that this is very much, you know, exists firmly in the landscape of late 2010s pop. When you first we're going over Professor Kim's five K's and you said keyboard. The yeah. first thing I now know that what she's referring to is the fact that this is like an incredibly digital experience, this this K pop scene. But my first thought was it was like, oh, this is music made on keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that is kind of true, actually. I mean, one thing that ties all these tracks together from Troy Savon to Charlie Puth to Boy with Love is like these are all not only digital products in the sense that they're, you know, we stream and we watch videos, they're like made out of computers too. I don't know if there's any acoustic <laughs> instruments in any of these songs. Exactly. This music fits right in with what's happening throughout the rest of uh, certainly Western pop music and global pop music. And I think that's why it's so easy to throw into playlists, regardless of what the primary language might be. I want to, before we move on to the final definition, though, expand beyond this idea of corporate pop. Because I don't want to suggest that this music, though designed by corporations, is exactly top down. 
So to learn a little bit about how actually the fandom contributes back into the music, I went and chatted with someone who helps coordinate communications for one of the biggest K-pop fandoms. I am Vanessa Augsbach, the digital media manager for KCON. Vanessa works at KCON. It's one of the largest Korean cultural and music festivals. It started in 2012 in Irvine, actually, and it's now global in Thailand, Japan, Australia, Abu Dhabi. It's all over the place. And she helped me appreciate that K-pop creation is truly multi-vector. The fans do so much work making sure that people have that kind of base knowledge to get into it. Fans do a lot of the work of content creation in terms of like forming this kind of bond with lyrics or with the artist itself. The fans will make videos about, oh, like these are the song lyrics you have to know by Blackpink or these are kind of the funniest Blackpink moments. So that gives you kind of a basis of, oh, I really like this this band. She told me that when new songs go online, within moments, people are uploading lyrics and are helping broaden the access to this music to the entire fandom. People actually sort of wait anxiously for translations um, when these songs come out. And I think it's a really sort of fascinating relationship between musician and fan and gatekeepers of fandom. Yeah, I love this idea. You know, the fans don't just play this passive role of like receiving content from the 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 musicians they idolize. It's like they take an active role, and it becomes this feedback loop rather than a sort of unidirectional relationship. I think you're spot on. This music is global, and it takes the global audience to make it work. We only went through four of the five-part definition of K-pop. And the thing that we actually didn't talk about is to the degree that it actually is Korean pop music. And I think what's fascinating about this is that when we look at its history, K-pop as a genre movement music actually starts internationally, not domestically. Dr. Kim explained to me where the term actually originated from. The term comes from actually outside of Korea. Many scholars would agree that Hong Kong cable channel called V Channel had a special corner on K-pop, which was basically trendy music coming out of 1990s Korea. So the term itself has a really embedded kind of global perspective of how Korea is looked by the outside world and non-Koreans. What's fascinating to me here is that not only is the term K-pop invented internationally, but it actually required domestic crisis and upheaval to build K-pop as a movement beyond its own borders. Korean pop singers had crisis in mid-90s, partly because MP3 files were being introduced to music scenes and, you know, traditional means of gaining income from your CD or cassette tape sales or live music tours suddenly became untenable because so much of music became freely downloadable. We all downloaded music for free without paying royalty to the artist. So there was a big crisis as to how to survive as a music artist. And and the Korean music industry had to really look into global market as its primary market. This is very illuminating and raises this idea for me of K-pop not just being Korean pop, but really being a kind of global music. 
which in turn brings me back to the question I had originally, like, which is, is K-pop just, you know, U.S. pop with, with, in a different language? And the answer is no, it's not. It's, it's this much more, you know, hybridic and border crossing style which then in turn is the same thing you could say about U.S. popular music. So this is, yeah, <laughs> I need to step back and like and do some, and and do some soul searching for sure. Well, those, I mean, in stepping back, like I think we got to look at like okay, so we've learned that K-pop is kaleidoscopic. It's adult. It's for a broad audience of all ages, and it's also global by being keyboard pop, connected to the digital ecosystem of pop culture beyond just music. It's corporate pop. And it is Korean pop. It's motivated by sort of a national recording industry necessity to grow beyond its own small domestic borders. And this is all really helpful to me in listening, realizing that so much of what we are already bringing as music fans is uh, applicable. I think I had sort of intentionally sort of held back out of a place of respect and wanting to, to learn more about the music first. And I think Dr. Kim's model really helps me feel more confident in sort of approaching this music. It also makes me wonder, like, what does it take to be a fan? Because I know that one thing that does sort of stand out amongst K-pop is that it has a just really ravenous fandom. If you go to K-Con, it's a spectacle. People are engrossed in this culture. And I was sort of like scared, like, how can I even get started? Like, do I have to be a total stan of K-pop in order to take the next step, right? Like, I feel like we're just tipping our toes in. What should we do next? And so to get some validation, I asked Vanessa from KCON, what would it take for me to be a fan? So I think it's okay to just be a fan of like K-pop in general. And I think a lot of our fans have like, very diverse interests. So I think you don't have to be a stand of a certain band. I think you just have to like be a fan of the fandom itself. Mm -hmm. Like, are you like supporting and like saying like, it's amazing that K-pop is getting big here that like this niche content keeps growing Then I think you're a K-pop fan. It's okay for us to be a casual K-pop fan. It's not too late for us to get into it. Totally. This conversation has just sort of ignited my appetite to go out and learn more. And I feel pretty confident in doing so because I know there's a whole world of fans out there who can guide me through this this world. So Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it invites both of us to think about, you know, referencing what's happening in the K-pop world, which is really what's happening on the U.S. charts at this point anyway, in our conversations about all popular music. It is so deeply interwoven. And so I look forward to, you know, as I said, this feels like really the first step. Like I am just totally coming into this uh, mostly naive and excited to go and listen a lot more and get further into this music. Amen, Charles. If you want to get more background on where K-pop came from, what its sound is, why it matters... I have two recommendations. One, check out Professor Sukyung Kim's book, K-Pop Live, Fans, Idols, and Multimedia Performance. I've really enjoyed it. Also, definitely check out Vox's series on Netflix, Explained. Estelle Caswell, Vox's great video music journalist, did an amazing piece on K-Pop. It's a great companion to this conversation. I think you'll really enjoy it. Check out Explained on Netflix. This episode of Switched On Pop was produced by me, Charlie Harding. And me, Nate Sloan. We're mixed and engineered by Brandon McFarlane. 
Our production fellow is Megan Lubin. Our community manager is Sarah Terry. And our executive producers are Nisha Kerwa and Liz Nelson. We're a production of Vox Media. You can find more episodes at switchedonpop.com, iHeartRadio, Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, wherever podcasts are chilling, we will be there amongst them. And chat with us on social media. We are at switchedonpop on Twitter and on Instagram. And really doing this piece came about from all of your requests and interest in K-pop. So we really do get a lot from uh, talking with you there. We'll be back again in another week next Tuesday. And until then, thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.